of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 14 Then a wave of religiosity passed through the school. Bad language was no longer heard, and the little nastinesses of small boys were looked upon with hostility. The bigger boys, like the lords temporal of the Middle Ages, used the strength of their arms to persuade those weaker than themselves to virtuous courses. Philip, his restless mind avid for new things, became very devout. He heard soon that it was possible to join a Bible league, and wrote to London for particulars. These consisted in a form to be filled up with the applicant's name, age, and school, a solemn declaration to be signed that he would read a set portion of Holy Scripture every night for a year, and a request for half a crown. This, was explained, was demanded partly to prove the earnestness of the applicant's desire to become a member of the League, and partly to cover clerical expenses. Philip duly sent the papers and the money, and in return received a calendar worth about a penny, on which was set down the appointed passage to be read each day, and a sheet of paper on one side of which was a picture of the Good Shepherd and a lamb, and on the other, decoratively framed in red lines, a short prayer which had to be said before beginning to read. Every evening he undressed as quickly as possible in order to have time for his task before the gas was put out. He read industriously, as he read always, without criticism, stories of cruelty, deceit, ingratitude, dishonesty, and low cunning. Actions which would have excited his horror in the life about him, and the reading passed through his mind without comment, because they were committed under the direct inspiration of God. The method of the League was to alternate a book of the Old Testament with the book of the New, and one night Philip came across these words of Jesus Christ. If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all this, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. They made no particular impression on him, but it happened that two or three days later, being Sunday, the canon in residence chose them for the text of his sermon. Even if Philip had wanted to hear this, it would have been impossible for the boys of King's school sit in the choir, and the pulpit stands at the corner of the transept so that the preacher's back is almost turned to them. The distance also is so great that it needs a man with a fine voice and a knowledge of elocution to make himself heard in the choir. And according to long usage, the canons of Turkenbury are chosen for their learning rather than for any qualities which might be of use in a cathedral church. But the words of the text, perhaps because he had read them so short a while before, came clearly enough to Philip's ears, and they seemed on a sudden to have a personal application. He thought about them, and through most of the sermon, and that night, and on getting into bed, he turned over the pages of the gospel and found once more the passage. Though he believed implicitly everything he saw in print, he had learned already that in the Bible, things that said one thing quite clearly often mysteriously meant another. There was no one he liked to ask at school, so he kept the question he had in mind till the Christmas holidays, and then one day he made an opportunity. It was after supper, and prayers were just finished. Mrs. Carey was counting the eggs that Mary Ann had brought in, as usual, and writing on each one the date. 
Philip stood at the table and pretended to turn listlessly the pages of the Bible. "'I say, Uncle Philip, the passage here, does it really mean that?' He put his finger against it as though he had come across it accidentally. Mr. Carey looked up over his spectacles. He was reading the Blackstable Times in front of the fire. It had come in that evening damp from the press, and the vicar always aired it for ten minutes before he began to read. "'What passage is that?' he asked. "'Why, this about if you have faith you can remove mountains.' "'If it says so in the Bible, it is so, Philip,' said Mrs. Carey gently, taking up the plate basket. Philip looked at his uncle for an answer. "'It's a matter of faith.' "'Do you mean to say that if you really believed you could move mountains, you could?' "'By the grace of God,' said the vicar. "'Now say good night to your Uncle Philip,' said Aunt Louisa. "'You're not wanting to move a mountain tonight, are you?' Philip allowed himself to be kissed on the forehead by his uncle and preceded Mrs. Carey upstairs. He had got the information he wanted. His little room was icy and he shivered when he put on his nightgown. But he always felt that his prayers were more pleasing to God when said when he said them under conditions of discomfort. The coldness of his hands and feet were an offering to the Almighty, and tonight he sank on his knees buried his face in his hands and prayed to God with all his might that he would make his club foot whole. It was a very small thing beside the moving of mountains. He knew that God could do it if he wished, and his own faith was complete. Next morning, finishing his prayers with the same request, he fixed a date for the miracle. O oh God, in thy loving mercy and goodness, if it be thy will, please make my foot all right on the night before I go back to school. He was glad to get his petition into a formula, and he repeated it later in the dining room, during the short pause which the vicar always made after prayers, before he rose from his knees. He said it again in the evening and again, shivering in his nightshirt before he got into bed. And he believed... For once he looked forward with eagerness to the end of the holidays. He laughed to himself as he thought of his uncle's astonishment when he ran down the stairs three at a time, and after breakfast he and Aunt Louisa would have to hurry out and buy a new pair of boots. At school they would be astounded. Hello, Akari, what have you done with your foot? Oh, it's all right now, he would answer casually, as though it were the most natural thing in the world. He would be able to play football. His heart leaped as he saw himself running, running faster than any of the other boys. At the end of the Easter term there were the sports, and he would be able to go in for the races. He rather fancied himself over the hurdles. It would be splendid to be like everyone else, not to be stared at curiously by new boys who did not know about his deformity, nor at the baths in summer to need incredible precautions while he was undressing, before he could hide his foot in the water. He prayed with all the power of his soul. No doubts assailed him. He was confident in the word of God. And the night before he was to go back to school, he went up to bed tremulous with excitement. There was snow on the ground, and Aunt Louisa had allowed herself the unaccustomed luxury of a fire in her bedroom. But in Philip's little room it was so cold that his fingers were numb, and he had great difficulty in undoing his collar. His teeth chattered. The idea came to him that he must do something more than usual to attract the attention of God. 
and he turned back the rug which was in front of his bed so that he could kneel on the bare boards. And then it struck him that his nightshirt was a softness that might displease his maker. So he took it off and said his prayers naked. When he got into bed, he was so cold that for some time he could not sleep. But when he did, it was so soundly that Marianne had to shake him when she brought in his hot water the next morning. She talked to him while she drew the curtains, but he did not answer. He had remembered at once that this was the morning for the miracle. His heart was filled with joy and gratitude. His first instinct was to put down his hand and feel the foot, which was now whole. But to do this seemed to doubt the goodness of God. He knew that his foot was well. But at last he made up his mind, and with the toes of his right foot he just touched his left. Then he passed his hand over it. He limped downstairs just as Marianne was going into the dining room for prayers and then he sat down to breakfast. "'You're very quiet this morning, Philip,' said Aunt Louisa presently. "'He's thinking of the good breakfast he'll have at school tomorrow,' said the vicar. When Philip answered, it was in a way that always irritated his uncle, with something that had nothing to do with the matter in hand. He called it a bad habit of wool-gathering. "'Supposing you'd ask God to do something,' said Philip, and really believed it was going to happen, like moving a mountain, I mean, and you had faith, and it didn't happen. What would it mean? What a funny boy you are, said Aunt Louisa. You asked about moving mountains two or three weeks ago. It would just mean that you hadn't got faith, answered Uncle William. Philip accepted the explanation. If God had not cured him, it was because he did not really believe and yet he did not see how he could believe more than he did. But perhaps he had not given God enough time. He had only asked him for nineteen days. In a day or two he began his prayer again, and this time he fixed upon Easter. That was the day of his son's glorious resurrection, and God and his happiness might be mercifully inclined. But now Philip added other means of attaining his desire. He began to wish when he saw a new moon or a dappled horse, and he looked out for shooting stars. During exit, they had a chicken at the vicarage, and he broke the lucky bone with Aunt Louisa and wished again, each time that his foot might be made whole. He was appealing unconsciously to gods older than his race than the God of Israel. And he bombarded the Almighty with his prayer. At odd times of the day, whenever it occurred to him, and identical words always, for it seemed to him important to make his request in the same terms. But presently, feeling came to him that this also, his faith would not be great enough. He could not resist the doubt that assailed him. He made his own experience into a general rule. I suppose no one ever has enough faith, he said. It was like the salt which his nurse used to tell him about. You could catch any bird by putting salt on his tail. And once he had taken a little bag of it into Kensington Gardens, but he could never get near enough to put the salt on a bird's tail. Before Easter, he had given up the struggle. He felt a dull resentment against his uncle for taking him in. The text which spoke of the moving of mountains was just one of those that said one thing and meant another. He thought his uncle had been playing a practical joke on him. End of chapter 14